Welcome to Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with conversations that are candid and are about human behaviour and technology. Brought to you by Kath Nibs. This week I'm joined by Matt Dipple and this episode um, has been preceded by a number of um, kind of ad hoc episodes that have gone out in the middle of uh, COVID. So this is the normal routine podcast episode that was due to be uh, put out there. And this is a lovely conversation. And Matt and I kind of talk about male mental health. And Matt comes from a perspective of being a biohacker, being a father, obviously being a male, um, and and has much more experience of that than, than I ever would, could, or possibly even empathically understand. Um, it's it's a fabulous episode. I really, really enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. And just to add in, I hope you are all keeping well, keeping safe, and we have another episode due out in the middle of May, which is going to be another one that's kind of COVID-related, but actually more about functional health, so it will complement this episode with Matt beautifully. Um I'm aware we're all in lockdown and this is the new way of um, paying attention to information. So again, um, any details you want from Matt, I'll put his contact details in below. Um, And I just wanted to say thank you to Matt for being patient enough that um, I was throwing some other stuff out there before this episode. And I shall see you all soon. Take care. Be well. Stay safe. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week, I'm joined by Matt Dipple. He is an avid biohacker and the founder behind Biohacking 101. So this is a consultancy that delivers innovative workshops to tech companies in Munich. You are one of the first biohackers to talk about biohacking in a public space at Quantified Self in 2013 in Amsterdam. Um, In Europe. Well, in Europe, yeah, let's go big. So... One of the things that you're doing at the moment, Matt, is um, you've you've got this consultancy and it's about basic biohacking. It's around the context, the mindset. It's taking it to teams and industry. So why do you do what you do? Well, Kath, first of all, thank you so much for having me here on your podcast. Super exciting for me to be here. And please excuse my uh, coarse voice because I just actually... Um, I'm recovering from a flu. It's not Corona. I'm still alive. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk about that. <laughs> and yes, even a biohacker gets sick sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, well, what do I do? Why? What, what do I do? And why do I do it? Well, basically for me, it comes really down to uh, pain <clears throat> equals purpose. Mm-hmm. So... What does that mean to to me? So basically, I went through a very interesting ride with my own health. And from that, I went through quite a few challenging experiences. And because of that, um, I was being put on a path of, you know, learning about health, finding better solutions to health. And I just want to change the narrative around health in Europe. That's basically... Mm -hmm my big game yeah long term i would really love to see um functional medicine arise more in the german health space in the healthcare sector that that's maybe one of my biggest aspirations to get more doctors educated on a more sophisticated humane way of doing medicine yeah yep and uh my interim game is to help more people with you know basic biohacks uh, specifically in the in the tech industry, because these are the people who potentially need it the most. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, because I mean, not only are they in the tech industry, they're surrounded by tech, and you know, we'll, we'll probably come on to that in a minute. Um, but I'm I'm just thinking about why why particularly the tech industry? Why what? particularly the tech mm. industry? Because um, again, um, so our history there, so. Um, until 2013, I basically was a therapist. Um, I studied originally Chinese medicine at the University of Technology in Sydney. Mm-hmm. So I was educated in the Chinese medical classics, the Neijing Su Wen, the Ling Shu, the Shanghan Lun, all the great Chinese medical books. And uh, then I basically set up my own um, 
clinic in Australia in Canberra after I graduated. And then I was one of the first who integrated as well working with Western doctors to sometimes get blood tests done and uh, combining it with more traditional Chinese medicine approaches. So um, I did that until 2013. And then together with my wife, we actually got into, uh, my wife studied advertising and, and marketing. And then we got into a startup uh, in, uh, in Amsterdam in the ebook publishing space back at that time. And one of our co-founders, uh, he actually had had a contact to one of the initial investors of PayPal, uh, who invested in, in the startup of my wife then. And it was a pretty exciting ride for 18 months. Uh, but then what happened was um, that one of the co-founders unfortunately passed away due to a stroke. And, um, and that was a fa fairly traumatic experience for my wife and myself. Yeah. And, and from that, we learned a lot. I, I basically, I went into a deep uh, burnout uh, after that time, uh, which came together as well. I was immunocompromised from an autoimmune disease. So that's how this whole thing happened, that I realized specifically knowledge workers, you know, highly talented yeah. coders, uh, creatives, you know, marketeers, who work really hard um, on a project, but who don't look very well after themselves, you know, they, they, they really need all the help they can get <laughs> to, to build great products and to be part of a great team as well. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just as a very simple, you know, simple problem, what use are you going to be to your team when you're hangry, when you're in your stand-up meeting in the morning and you're hangry, you're, you're hangry because your blood sugar level is off and, uh, or you didn't sleep very well and, um, and you're, you know, you're just not a really productive part of your team. So this is more the, the softer version of why I do what I do, but the, the, the deeper version is really that, you know, we, we lost a good friend and a very talented coder and um, yeah, that's this is uh, why I do what I do. Yeah, well, that, that's very reflective of the uh, pain equals purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a very deep driver, and uh, yeah, and I can support it as well with um, let's say very tactical knowledge because I have been a therapist. Um, I really understand how how systems biology work. I mean, Chinese medicine inherently is a very, very systems oriented uh, healthcare approach. So I was schooled in that way of thinking. And then when I, when I did uh, get in contact with, you know, functional medicine approaches, I was like amazed at how, how beautifully they kind of marry lifestyle advice, um, objective data through diagnostic testing, food as medicine, community as a solution to creating the right su support network for you to grow. And, uh, and when all of this stuff came together at the same time, um, then all of these guys that I, that I got in touch with during the time of that startup, they labeled me as being a biohacker. Yeah, Matt, you look, you're a total biohacker. I mean, didn't you know? And I said like, well, yeah, basically that's what I've been doing kind of like my whole life since I started Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, doing Chinese martial arts and Shaolin Qigong and, and Kung Fu and all of this stuff. But then because I was in that ecosystem of tech entrepreneurs in which, you know, hacking is like a cool thing, then, well, they just, you know, named me a biohacker. And then, you know, that's how, how I ended up in that, in that, in that track. Okay. So I think, what I will do is I'll get you to describe actually what you what you think um, or your your yeah your take on biohacking because one of one of the things I have noticed is it does come from this um, and like like you've said it's the very esoteric technology um, if you are making changes to something you are technically hacking it in in terms of coding and so on and so forth and it's a very cognitive based um, phraseology isn't it it's it's 
surrounded by the narrative of we are programs running that we can then make changes to so I'm, I'm just wondering about how you would explain what biohacking is because I think one one of the things that I do find at the minute is it's taken off in two variants there's the Dave Asprey version and then there's the CRISPR version as well so that there's like these two two different versions of what biohacking is so maybe maybe for the listeners would you like to describe what you think biohacking is and how you see it yeah so first of all I think um, biohacking is, is something that has been around for millennia. <laughs> you know, for, for me, like the first great biohackers were like the shamans, uh, the mystics, the yogis sitting in caves, you know, changing mm-hmm. their body temperatures, you know, the, the great doctors of Ayurvedic medicine, you know, the guys who wrote like the, the, the book about Tibetan medicine or, you know, like they, they have been individuals who've been doing such incredible things for the advancement of medicine and of healing. Yeah. So all of these guys for me are like the really great biohackers. So, but what about today? Well, you know, every time these big shifts happen in, in medicine or in culture around health and healing, they always happen in the cultural context. Okay. So, yeah. And the big cultural sh- context and the big shift that has been happening, uh, you know, for us now is definitely the internet and the rise of technology and the rise of um, uh, knowledge growing so incredibly fast. Yeah. So, so for me, biohacking is like a convergence of um, lifestyle advice, using of technology, understanding of genetics. Um, understanding of mitochondrial medicine yeah um the understanding of um you know that okay we can maybe live longer if we are smart how to do it yes and we can if you're smart we can avoid disease yes so for me um the amazing thing what dave asprey has done is he created a whole movement through coining the term biohacker and making himself being the the grandfather of biohacking now and i think this is really wonderful and uh, i applaud him for that which is amazing and and look there's a very um there's a very um specific thing about it as well the whole inclusion of technology and the deep understanding of you know um, how light interacts with our biology so this is very this is something which has not been looked at a lot in functional medicine for example yes yeah, I mean, Dr. Yeah. Jack Kruse really criticizes that about functional medicine. And, and I think there's a, there's a really good argument behind that. It was a total game changer for me to really look after my sleep rhythms and, you know, uh, understanding what blue light does to my physiology at night when I shouldn't have it and what it does to me in the morning when I should have, should have it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's basically is what, what mm-hmm. biohacking is for me. It's yeah. It seems very very scientific now, though, doesn't it? In terms of what, um, where am I going with this? I'm thinking as you were talking, there is something about um, what what the uh, ancient traditions knew. We're now using science to support to say, well, I, you know, this is what I keep saying: as as human beings, we are extremely cognitive, very very clever, but we're also dumb as because we've been doing this for millennia. You know, uh, and if you go back to the kind of primal way, and I do notice that this is now um, a term that gets used in a lot of coaching. So you'll find that there's primal coaching, um, you know, and we're going back to uh, Paleolithic times, which is where these diets come from. And actually, for me, it's about what we're doing is we're using science to support what we've always inherently known. So it's almost like for me, there's something about functional medicine is intuitive but with the research that backs up what we've always known. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to how much more tech becomes involved in terms of being able to support us and how, how we heal. Cause I, I'm, I do find that's a word that comes up so often in everything. And I find um, Dave Asprey was one of those cognitive people you talked about that he was in that world of, you know, Silicon Valley programming, being up in his head um, there is a phrase we therapists use for people who are disconnected from their, their body, which is dead from the neck down. 
and by that I don't mean people are dead from the neck down it's just that that separation and de-individuation yeah what what Dave Asprey noticed was that he wasn't doing so well he wasn't feeling so great and and this is what I think you're talking about is that marrying up of what goes on in the body has an effect on the mind and and I'm going to go back to that thing we were talking about just off air um Dan Siegel's representation of the mind is like the shore with the sea and the sand you you know the brain and the body are connected they're not separate um a bit like Descartes said there's this marrying up of and then what we seem to be doing is using science for the healing of brain body proper and mind yeah I have I have a wonderful story about that exactly that topic hmm. this is how I basically uh married an, a subjective and an objective approach to health in my own life. So uh, around 2012, I deeply got into um, like, like a bit of a soul searching uh, in terms of me becoming a man. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and I went to uh, an event called uh, new training adventure by uh, the mankind project. And it was really an intense week. And I can really recommend it to every man to, to kind of go into it. And uh, when I came out of it, I actually decided that I wanted to do some, uh, some, some therapy because I had like these episodes of depression and of lethargy and of lack of motivation. Back then, I blamed a lot of it on, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, a lack of connection to my father mm -hmm. or... Um, and so I started to do, to do some talking therapy with a, with a therapist and, uh, and it was very challenging. Like I still could not shake some of the depression I had and uh, the lethargy I had and stuff. And um, until a few months later, I was, during the same time, I was in contact with a, a good university friend who was a, a very gifted Chinese medicine practitioner who went to San Diego and he studied uh, functional medicine, uh, blood chemistry with a very, very well-known doctor uh, in the functional medicine space, it was Dr. Karazian there. So he studied blood chemistry with him. And I was in a very um, deep exchange with him, like, you know, what are you doing? And, and then he passed on some of his knowledge. And then I got really excited about blood chemistry at that time. And so what he did, he sent me over a blood panel with about um, 70 analytes on it and he said hey Matt just just go to your uh, closest GP just run these labs let's just check where you're at and let's see where, where, where you go where we where we get with that and so then I went to the GP I came up with an innovative story like yeah my you know I have a very good uh, doctor in the US recommended me to run these labs uh, I just want to do, do it like a preventative healthcare check okay yeah. got it all accepted run the labs and what came back was um, I was in a severe <coughs> thyroid hypofunction. My thyroid was absolutely underactive. Mm -hmm. I had uh, massive amounts of antibodies attacking my thyroid gland. Uh, I had cholesterol through the roof, like a 60-year-old with like some, you know, some severe liver problems. And um, when I got the diagnosis, was like, well, basically I had a full-blown uh, autoimmune disease called Hashimoto's and I should be going on um, statins for the rest of my life and, and all of this stuff. And basically, I just wanted to go there to get a wellness panel done, right? And I got out of that doctor's office getting diagnosed with a chronic autoimmune disease. And um, yeah, so... And then from that point on, it made sense that I had some, uh, you know, mental health uh, challenges like depression and, and lethargy and stuff like this because I was hypothyroid. These are all very classical symptoms mm -hmm. of hypothyroidism mm -hmm. that basically for a year before that, I tried to get rid of through talking therapy. And that was for me a big breakthrough when I understood like that... Um, you know, it's not all in your head. If your physiology is not really supported properly, you know, you can do as much talking therapy as you want. You will not get anywhere. Yeah. And and there's loads and loads of science to show. Um, so obviously this this is my kind of bag to, to talk about. There is loads and loads of science and research around um, when when people are feeling 
depressed what happens is you end up in this cycle that you can actually create those changes at the very cellular level and those cellular level functions then have an impact on your health which then have an impact on how you feel ad finitum ad finitum and you can go round and round and round in circles which is why i'm so interested in uh, and we've been talking about this um off off this podcast that's why i'm so interested in bringing functional health with psychotherapy because actually they're, they're it's the yin and the yang they both have an impact on each other totally so, I, I think it, it goes both ways so yeah. and it totally depends on what's possible for the person so for example last year <clears throat> i had a big breakthrough with a, with a therapist uh in um in australia um I had this really interesting experience that whenever I visit together with my wife, I visited uh, her family in Australia, always after like five to 10 days, uh, I always started to got a niggle of depression and some, some sadness and grief arising until I figured out that, that some of that had something to do that um, I basically was missing family a lot in my own life. I missed the connection to my own parents and to my own siblings. And, um, and so I had this need there that was not met on a human level and being with her family really mirrored that back. She had, my, my wife has a very loving family, a very well-connected family. There's a lot of, you know, happiness and surplus. And in my own family, there's a lot of chronic disease happening. And, and because mm -hmm. of that, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of, um, there's a lack of surplus for each other. And, and this is, again, comes back to pain equals purpose to me. Like if we don't have the right doctors in Germany to take care of these chronic conditions in a more humane, effective way, you know, families will break down, children, uh, you know, will not get the right attention they need from their parents. And, and you get flow on effects, you know, that get bigger and bigger. So, but so yeah. yeah, so last year I had this beautiful breakthrough working with a therapist of working with these feelings when they were coming up, like, and, uh, and once these feelings are being processed properly and they come to the surface and you deal with them as a man in a, in an authentic and honest way where you let grief show up and you let it out and you're vulnerable to the deep feelings that are sitting there that you, and you really deep deal with them, mm -hmm. then that has a big impact as well on your physiology. So this is what I mean. You can work from the feelings uh, from the inside out more on a subjective feeling level, or sometimes you might have to work with pharmaceuticals outside in, like with, yeah. if you're hypothyroid, you might have to take some <clears throat> medication to get your neurotransmitters firing better. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. Well, let's, let's do the deep dive in on the, um, let's call it male mental health, male psyche, male, um, the maleness, because my reflection is, and this is true of right the way across the biohacking, the functional health, many of the um let's call them participants in this particular world i have picked up on there is a huge discrepancy in there is a higher proportion that are male and i'm i'm just really interested in in terms of how did we get to this position where it seems to be males mostly males i will i will put that quantifier in there mostly males who are then having to um almost try and heal from their dysfunction and where does that dysfunction come from i have my own theories about this but there's a whole heap here about what it means to be a man and how do you get to that place because i, I quite liked your wording actually there wasn't there isn't a surplus enough to go around and I, I find lots and lots of the young boys and men that i work with in therapy tend to come from this particular approach of there, there isn't connection, never mind about surplus. So what, what are your thoughts on this, Matt, in terms of this manhood, this, and, and we're going to get towards that book, um, that you went on training to learn, learn about being a man and becoming a man. And yeah. What do you think so, is going on? I think, that, I mean, this is one of the topics I'm super, super passionate about. And, um, so <laughs> where does this go? Yeah. Like basically, I think I will I will I will um go into the work of Steve 
bit of fear straight away because yeah, that book yeah, has yeah. impacted my life so uh, deeply. And um, the good message about this book is that when you have a healthy masculinity that is not ego-driven, but that is uh, community-orientated and purpose-driven, you basically get the really good things happening in society. Um, problems are getting tackled in an, in an intelligent way yep. with long-term solutions. And uh, when you have male leadership that is um, based on sacrifice, you get you get problems handled uh, in style, mm -hmm. with compassion, and with foresight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is for yeah. me is healthy masculinity, and um, why don't we have that? We don't have that because we lack an initiation into the male emotional body that is very different to a female emotional body. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the male emotional body, when a man for the first time in his life deeply gets in touch with his feelings, uh, often it's very likely that first there will be a, a total numbness. If he sticks with it and he goes deeper, there will be the first layers of grieving that yeah. he has not been grieving, maybe a connection, the connection to his father or... Uh, some things that he hasn't been following through with in life or some things that he's fucked up in uh, fucked up in life. So first there's a layer of grief he has to go through. Then there is a layer potentially of rage mm -hmm. and of frustration he has to get in touch with. Um, and he gets both of these topics handled in his life. Then he will get closer to joy, love, um, on a deep, authentic level. Yeah. Okay. And and according to what Steve Biddulph says, men basically need uh, other men to learn how to maneuver these emotional states in a safe way, potentially away from females, so that they don't have to prove anything or they don't feel inadequate or... Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, and, and you know, in in terms of how do we do that as a, a species, it, it can be very difficult. So I'm um, I'm thinking of um, some of the books and, and the approaches that I've read around. There is a lot about um, boys get given a societal message, and that depends on you know where they are in the world. But mostly that societal message is about this masculinity, and I'm not sure what males understand by masculinity because it it differs um i do see a bit of a theme that tends to be around honor so there's honor towards family honor towards each other um honor about being strong um not grieving not having anger having appropriate responses in the world that that match um what what that particular tribe might say or do and then the work that I tend to do with my clients in therapy very much matches what you've just been talking about there. And I will put into the show notes, actually, Steve Biddulph's um, Facebook group, because he does quite a lot of um, good articles and so on in there as well. Oh, amazing. Um, so yeah. it, it means that people can then go and go and have a look at this, because I think that the demographic of this podcast in terms of listener base will will be mostly males who listen to this particular episode because I will title it something to do with that, you know. Um, but also I'm just thinking about... You know, like I would say, what what is that that new type of manhood that Steve Bidoff talks about? He talks about that, you know, the, the let's say, you know, the, 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 the paradigm of the 20th century or like not, not even like, let's say, pre-hippie pre days, it was... All spine, no heart, mm -hmm. stiff upper lip, and let's just get on with it. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And and look, let's be let's be straight about it. Like great heroic deeds have been done by these types of men in the twentieth century. I mean, I, I just want to say, Second World War, you know, 
like like edible what what challenges men have sold in the 20th century yes mm-hmm. so there was you had to have a lot of spine you know to go to war to to do all of this stuff right and as a result often the heart had to be disconnected because it, these were deeply traumatic experiences yeah and uh, we lost a lot of good men because of it okay yeah the men that tend to tend to survive were the ones who were able to really closely bond with other men and to exchange on these experiences and stuff then what came after that was like um no spine all heart like the the new age guy mm-hmm. okay who is just the the eternal flow boy <laughs> who just uh, you know dances from festival to festival who doesn't want to commit to any relationship who you know who who leaves the, the 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 pregnant girl alone and wants you know to get into another relationship because uh, he doesn't have the financial backing or like the the solid lifestyle to actually support a family mm-hmm. okay so that that's that's the flow boy that's uh, no spine all heart and so what steve bidoff advises and i i'm very much for it the next generation is like you know all spine all heart yes Rounded, well-rounded. A well-rounded <laughs> yeah. man who um, has integrity, who has, you know, strengths, who can do the difficult things and, uh, and at the same time who has a very compassionate and caring heart. Yeah. And, well, a, a personal reflection here is, um, well, I mean, I know you know, and I know most of um, my listeners will now know, I, I was in the army and I was in a very male-orientated uh, role um as i said to you just before we started today i was on a camp where there was about three to five thousand men at any one time there was very few women i was the first woman to do my job and that the whole premise of being around that that particular psyche and and world was take it on the fucking chin stop being the softest shit get a grip you know get on with it it was it was very much don't be in contact with any of your feelings and it was really interesting my ex-husband used to say that to the boys when they were little you know take it on the chin man up man up is the one it really gets under my skin that because i don't even know what it means but there's there's this approach that you know that's how that's how it was and what i have noticed is my my boys were very empathic very compassionate and when i say they were they still are but my eldest son has been in the army for some time and it's almost like it's been chipped, chipped, chipped away. And I see less and less of that in his demeanor sometimes, which is really quite heartbreaking because I know that underneath it, he is all heart, all spine, but there's this facade. So this is that, um, I'm just thinking about the Lewis Howes book, uh, mask of Mas- uh, the mask of masculinity. I don't know if you've read that. No, it talks about the nine different masks that men wear, and whilst whilst it's not an in-depth psychology book, um, it is quite an interesting book for males in terms of I do lend it out quite a bit to the the, the adolescents, because there's something about the truth of who you are is very difficult to to bring forward that all heart all spine in a world where we only want to see spine. It, it, and and that's why we need people such as yourself we need well it has to be done in a gradual way Kath like, yeah you know there and there is a reason for that you know warrior tribes they had they had rites of passage mm-hmm. to invite you know usually around the age you know around 14 to invite the the boys into the circle of men to yep help them to become uh men and warriors you know i've got 14 written down on my piece of paper here to say to you this is the this is the age we need to talk about at some point so that's yeah so so this is very interesting and i mean steve biddles uh talks about it and to get initiated into the into what he calls the five truths truths of manhood you know this is really this is this is heavy stuff yeah this is heavy stuff to deal with it and um and i mean it's a spiritual journey um i I mean i can shortly just just talk about these five truths of manhood uh number one you're going to die yes number two (laughs) life is hard (laughs) 
Number three, you're not that important. Number four, your life is not about you. And number five, you are not in control of the outcome. Mm -hmm. So what about these five truths of manhood? You're going to die. Well, this is like when we understand that we, we don't have an infinite amount of time and we actually really understand that, that you know, death exists, life becomes much more precious to us. Mm -hmm. And... And this is why in every warrior culture, if that's in the samurai culture or in the, you know, the Indian warrior tribes or in the Viking warrior uh, traditions, you know, dying on the battlefield, fighting for a noble cause was like the highest way of going yeah. to die. Yeah. Okay. F dying for your tribe, dying for your for your family, dying for your village, sacrificing yourself so that the greater good can actually survive and thrive was a, is, is one of the most noble kind of things. And still, still men today, deep down, they want to sacrifice themselves for something. Okay, they, they, it, it, yeah. it, is, it is something noble. But here I want to, uh, yeah. And then the second part is uh, life is hard everyone today with mar marketing they all want to tell us like you know yeah there's an the easy way five easy ways how to get what you want in the fastest way and um but as we all know uh, things in life they don't they don't come easy like i mean i don't know for, for me definitely they, they they don't like i think the the, the biggest insights in my life came through going through uh, you know tough lessons <laughs> and, and the more we, we we embrace the fact that life is not easy and actually when we teach this our youngsters at an early age so that they don't grow up with an entitlement attitude the earlier they learn it you know the better it is yeah yeah and uh and then you're not that in, that important uh, i mean this is the difference i think between a man who serves his family, who serves uh, his purpose, who serves, you know, his co-workers uh, in, in a job or when you, you yourself, you don't take yourself so important, you can let other people be more important. And that's one of the most important uh, skills to have to work in a unit, to work in a group of people, to work amongst a group of men. Um, when it's not just all about you, but when it's more about the tribe, then mm -hmm. you know, this is a very, very uh, important, important uh, attitude to have. Yes. Yeah. And and uh, and then the fourth fourth truth: your life is not about you. This can be a very liberating insight when you understand, like your life becomes very, very interesting when you put yourself in service to a cause or to a purpose mm -hmm. because there's so many problems in the world and when you understand that these solving big problems in the world is much more interesting than to complaining about your own problems life gets very interesting as well and uh, uh <laughs> and then the fifth the fifth truth you are not in control of the outcome well this adds the whole magic to it where you understand the universe works in mysterious ways. Whatever you put focus on becomes bigger. And um, and sometimes it's, yeah, I mean, you just sometimes have to surrender. If you can't solve a problem yourself, you have to surrender to it. And then sometimes the solutions come through a phone call, through some, su some support from a friend or mm -hmm. through getting invited to a podcast interview and then new doors open up because of that. You know, it's, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm just thinking that these these truths are are actually quite hard to hear. So um, these are <laughs> yeah these are drip, drip, gentle uh, gentle truths that I bring into the therapy room with the children rather than <laughs> rather than going well you're going to die anyway. Well, basically, you don't you don't uh, these, these truths you don't give them to children. You don't. You well, give them. You give them. You give. I from my point of view. They have to be passed on from maybe age 14 onwards. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I, well, this, I mean, is, children... this is a cusp from when they go into adulthood. Yeah. 
Well, ch children for me, Matt, goes all the way up to 25, mainly <laughs> because that's when that's when the brain begins to mature in terms of um, uh, cohesion and, and um, across the lattice. Um, right. So what we do know is that adolescence lasts until around about 25, perhaps even 28. Um, there is there is research emerging that says it might be slightly older than that anyway. So I, I tend to do, you know, sit with these children and I'm talking children. My children are still children because they haven't reached 25. They're not far off it. But I, I'm still watching the emergence of um, their development, their emotional regulation. I'm watching the development of their critical thinking, how they see the world. And, and it's such an interesting phase. I'm, I'm much... I, actually, I enjoy the way that um, young males think. Uh, I really, really do appreciate kind of their their um, adherence to the world rules, but also their defiance of them. And it's it's this movement over maybe a decade from 14 to 24, which is just such a joy to watch. But it's really difficult for a lot of parents. And I spend so much time in therapy trying to educate well. the parents. I will give you a very, very beautiful analogy that will put things into perspective. So I got this out of a book called Iron John from Robert Bly. And this one of the most beautiful books as well that, that every man should read. And basically, uh, maybe every mother who has, who has boys as well. Mm -hmm. Basically, uh, Iron John, it's one of the fairy tales of the Brothers Grimm. And it was an oral tradition from the Germanic tribes uh, how young boys turn into men. Mm -hmm. Like the journey into manhood. The oral, tra oral tradition that has been told in the Germanic tribes, I don't know for how long, but the Brothers Grimm picked up that story and turned it into a fairy tale. So Robert Bly talks about, uh, about this fairy tale. And basically... When it go that uh, in it, he uses the analogy of the three, the three knights. There's a red knight, mm -hmm. there's a white knight, and then there's a black knight on a horse that every man goes goes through in their developmental phase. Mm -hmm. The red knight is a knight of passion, of violence, of uh, impatience, of ambition of like of passion okay yeah. that's the red knight the white knight is like um is like the 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 moralist the one who wants to do good the one who does not fight against anymore but he is the knight who fights for something yeah and uh and it's a lot about uh, peaceful means mm-hmm Okay, uh, and then you have the Black Knight, which is about deep wisdom, uh, about maturity, about uh, um, wit as well, and about, uh, yeah, let's say a bit like crazy wisdom, mm. and not, not being, not being uh, too stiff on rules and regulations, but he just does what fits in the moment and which makes sense okay yeah. so and so um the here's the problem though so mothers want their sons to not jump on the red horse on the they don't want their son to be the the red knight straight away they want their son to be the white knight the, the good yeah. boy uh-huh yeah okay but actually to get I, in my opinion, to get very um, mature men, we need to let them make mistakes. Yeah. We need to let them go out into the world and ram off their horns. Yeah. Okay. Because if they don't make mistakes and if they don't know how to deal with failure and if they don't learn how to deal with frustration and if they don't make mistakes that they, um, you know, regret... They will never learn anything and mm -hmm. they will not have the solid self-esteem to, to learn how to uh, fail fast, which is one of the most important attitudes as well in innovation. Like yeah. 
Yeah, and so th this is, I think, one of the biggest problems that we have, that we judge boys for being ambitious, for being, you know, wild and unruly and being impatient. And yes, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. th th because we, we suppress that, we take away a lot of the inherent vitality and strength and power uh, of the male psyche, to be honest. Yeah. Would, would, <laughs> this is not going to come as a surprise, probably to listeners or to you. Um, do you know the biggest referral that I get for males is, Kath, have got an anger problem. And I go, <sighs> they do not have an anger problem. They feel anger. You have the problem with that anger. Let's have a look at what's actually going on here because there's a reason for anger. It doesn't just suddenly arise, but on referral form after referral form, and this has been almost the last decade, and it is, this is why I'm really glad to be talking to you about this. Uh, it pisses me off beyond belief that boys have anger problems because that is so not true. They're, they're learning to exhibit an emotion and where girls don't always tend to do that in the same way, you know, that, and we do have these sex differences, actually, it's an appropriate part of development. So I, I have to sit with the school and say, okay, so what's difficult for this child is when they feel this particular emotion, they haven't got a way of communicating it. So you need to support that. So I'm hearing here that I'm going to start using these analogies and I will go and get this book at the end of this podcast um, and put it in the show notes. Because I think this is going to be a really nice way to metaphorically describe it to teachers. There is an appropriateness of this particular emotion. And it's a necessary emotion. It's what keeps yeah. alive. Yeah. Oh, I could go off on a right rant about that. <laughs> Just, yeah. It's, it's appropriate. It's how we manage that emotion that's the difficulty for males because that's the bit that, you know, people just suppress it straight away, don't they? It's, it's oh right, stop shouting, stop kicking off, stop, 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 rather than, that's interesting. I yeah, I mean, men on. have to, men really have to learn to uh, control it mm -hmm. and to channel it and to harness it. Yeah, yeah. And men, a lot of men are afraid of it. Well, because the parents are afraid of it. I, I've noticed it's, it's that self-fulfilling prophecy that when toddlers, and this is, this is where I notice it with parents, when toddlers begin, so let's just go with the male toddler, gets to a point where he's frustrated, which is very low on the, the ladder of anger, as I call it. Yes. And he gets frustrated, so he begins to shout out, have a temper tantrum, bite, whatever, whatever's going on for this young male. And then the parents will literally crush that moment well, if he carries on like this, Kathy will become, and they almost fill in the blanks until this is a, um, I don't know, a sociopathic murderer. And I'm kind of yeah. like, how do you go from A to Z that quickly? I mean, look. So, in my own life, I think one of the best things that ever happened to me was martial arts training from mm -hmm. from 15 years onwards. I wish um, I wish I would have had it much earlier in my life. I think this is one of the best ways how to actually teach boys how to um, how to harness their physiology, how to master their emotions, how to become disciplined, how to give them purpose, and and I think you know um, yeah, this is one of the best ways for 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 young boys to harness that energy, how to deal with frustration, like f through judo training or Brazilian jiu-jitsu training or mm -hmm. um, Kung Fu training. So I, I, I personally, I, I trained Kung Fu when I was young. And it helped me enormously to deal with my, you know, frustration, a change of hormones. And so, and mm -hmm. to some degree, this is what, you know, back then already I was doing biohacking through breathing exercises and through going into Qigong and all of this. Um, and I wish this would be much more uh, understood in yeah. raising boys, for example. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I also did um, martial arts and took my boys to martial arts, actually. So I did um, Shotokan for um, quite, quite a number of years. And 
it was actually it was quite interesting I taught my boys to do shouter can and they went it's too disciplined so we went off to do kickboxing and wadaroo and some other some other things and then what I do notice is quite a lot of the males move towards this MMA because there's there's something quite and I'm going to use that word primal now there is something quite primal about being able to hold another person in a particular position so it's, it'll be the same for jiu-jitsu won't it um that idea of focusing on and noticing your own power on on top of how do i then control it so i mean men, men want to know it on a deep level that mm. uh, if shit hits the fan can i protect my loved ones this is a very primal deep yeah, yeah. deep uh part inside of every man um and in our communication focused way how do we how do men dominate now men dominate through status through influence through money that's that's the modern way how to do it yeah. okay but still i think on a deep level this still applies what happens if i get attacked on the street or what if what happens if you know um somebody wants to mug my wife or you know mm -hmm. i think yeah. it's uh If, if, if men don't tackle that deep part of themselves, they will feel incomplete to some degree. Yeah. So, so one of the things I actually do as a therapist is um, I've got uh, kick pads and punch pads, et cetera, et cetera, in the, in the therapy room. And for a lot of the, so when I'm working, because I specialize in trauma, when I'm working with the males who have been um, sexually abused or domestically abused in, in whatever way it is, I will actually allow them that space and place to hold the pads and, you know, and I'll say, so go for it, go for it. And, and you can see this reticence quite often. They'll be like, yeah, but you're a girl, Kath. And I say, I know how to hold the pad. And if you hurt me, I've, I've almost created that situation where I'm giving you permission to do that. But believe you me, this isn't about hurting me. This is about empowering you to, to feel some of that male energy, which, which I know is so important. And the number of kids that that begin, so I'm talking here from like maybe ages eight through to about 15, that, that come forward and go to punch the, and, and obviously I have to teach some of them how to not put their thumb in the middle of their palm. But when when they go for it, it's like an explosion and it's it's such an emancipating thing to do with a lot of the males that yeah. it can be really cathartic for them in terms of, yes, you have this power. And then we can conversely kind of do that comparison and go, but when you were little, you didn't have this power and it was impossible, yeah. but now you own it. Now you can, now you can do it. And then I spend a lot of time referring people saying, okay, boxing, kickboxing, martial arts, whatever it is you need to do and finding that particular, I'm going to call it a sport that they can then go and take part in so that they can then own their own physical strength and endurance yeah I, I uh, weightlifting kettlebell training oh, yeah any yeah. of that stuff it's all amazing you know for this yeah and and, and getting the children to you know make the make the noises whilst they're doing the work because obviously that is such an empowering thing as well isn't it? it's a bit like the ki but it's it's also really quite primal you know the the shouting the grunting the screaming whatever it is totally. you need to do yeah and Uh, and what I, what I find at the minute is there's a lot of what I'm going to call male mental health movements in this country focusing around talking. I think it needs to be a bit more, maybe like you've done on that, that weekend and mankind, there needs to be a bit more of this push of grunt. Yeah. There's a huge uh, growth in terms of these um, men's groups mm -hmm. that are, that are starting to emerge where men get together Uh, amongst themselves going through group processes together I mean for example their sacred sons right now are coming out of the US I think they're coming to the UK this year as well yeah, they do I'm amazing workshops sacred sons they're called yeah and uh, and yeah of course you know Steve Biddulph's book um, is like really necessary reading but so much stuff uh Mm -hmm. it's happening in, in that direction i'm very very excited about it yeah i've realized rebel wisdom in this country do uh, a male weekend i don't know how much um so I, i tend to call it the push shove grunt that, that there needs to be a little bit of that i'm not sure how many of those groups exist 
but there yeah. is there is <laughs> push yeah. off grants it sounds like it. <laughs> to be challenged amongst other men yeah yeah so you get challenged and you 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 learn to deal with conflict in a clean way and you 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 learn to embrace feelings of anxiety and of nervousness and of um you know uh frustration and aggression coming up in a safe okay. container yeah super important yeah i i think we need lots more lots more informed males to be able to hold those groups as well though so that you know and again that comes from this movement of males such as yourself becoming aware of what what's going on for yourself so that you can then provide that for others and i've just gone on a fizzballs moment this is what dan siegel calls um mindsight so when you have insight and empathy you have mindsight and i think we need much more male mindsight um yeah yeah i know at the moment there's we've we've got a group in this country called dudes and dogs or it might be in this, i'm not sure yeah they've, they've decided to you know just take the dogs out for a walk and i'm like well that that's that's quite primal you know but again there's this holding space that I think males need and it does need to be yeah, run by males. Totally you know? holding space that, you know, for example, uh, I'm, I'm part of a men's group here in Munich and we meet up every every fortnight and it's it's an essential part of my, my, my life right now where I have a sounding board of about, you know, 10 men and I can talk about my most important uh, issues in my life and I get feedback from 10 men, all from very different walks of life in a very honest, straight and uncompromising manner. Mm. And it's so incredibly refreshing. Yeah. Well, I think there's been a lot of support for women, hasn't there? And I'm, I'm going to, uh, it's ironically, I'm going to take the mickey here that, you know, we've had knit and natter for I don't know how long. You know, the, the idea of women getting together and having yeah. um, women's forums and women's, I don't know, retreats and so on. Um, and it's been really difficult for me to find something to to say to the males. Actually, there's this there's this thing that you can go. Through. Yeah, it's 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 I, I tell you, it's the, uh, it's going to be the let's say, you know, male male same what happened for 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 females. The emancipation. This will happen for men now. Yeah. In a in a deeper way. Okay, because men are really hurting. Okay? Uh, yes. And, that, and so this is a, a bit of the what, what I'm doing from a biohacking standpoint. I take um, you know a group of guys out for uh, ice bathing together. I was going to ask you because you know? I've seen so, your your Wim Hof. Yeah, yeah. So th th this this yeah. is this is just for me that this is what what I'm doing to bring like this biohacking movement together with this um, you know manhood stuff is you know to take guys out together in a group and we we jump in an ice cold river together and then we huddle up for like you know ten minutes <laughs> and freeze our balls off and have fun doing it and then through that we build like a community of purpose and then through that you build deep friendship and then when you have deep friendship then you talk about you know the things that you're vulnerable about and mm -hmm. you can get help from friends who care about you. Yeah. So it's it's a lot about community hacking. How do you build a community uh, of people that you trust in your life, and um, and how yep. do you do it? For men, there always has to be a bit of an adrenaline thing with it. It has to be you've got to go out of your comfort zone. Otherwise, it's 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 um, it's just not exciting enough. Yeah, I uh, you see as as you're talking i'm thinking about some of the things that you've said matt throughout this echo what what sean wells was saying in terms of find your purpose find your tribe and yeah. this is um for me there's also something similar about um the basic training that i had for going in the army is very much about this you know get together and and um and it's difficult because that's institutionalized it's not tribal there's there's a different outcome so what what you're kind of suggesting here is is why we were basically going to do this interview in the first place which is the male mental health that isn't institutionalized it's not about killing each other it's about connection it's about purpose it's about tribe yes and um support for each other mm. 
Yeah, and you know, I I absolutely echo what you've said. Men are hurting. Men are hurting incredibly in in yeah. this this phase of, of life that we're in at the moment and it's that mixture of what what you said earlier isn't it it's because they're now all spine all heart how do they understand that if nobody has been there to educate to teach to support and to create that that yeah, narrative around to- them totally and um and we're gonna change that yeah <laughs> right um we have gone for about an hour, so I'm just wondering if there's anything you wanted to add into the, the podcast episode, which we will bring to a close in a minute. And I'm sure that me and you are going to carry on talking for some time. Not, not, maybe not today, but I mean, like, uh, over time, there is, there is a whole, there is a whole heap. I'm probably going to have you back for a second interview, Matt, because this was amazing. Thank you so much, Kath. Well, right now... Um... You know, people can follow me on Instagram uh, at Matt Dipple, M-A-T-T, Delta India, Papa Papa Lima, at Matt Dipple. Oh, I'm impressed with your phonetics. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and there, there's a link as well to my other project, which is Biohacking 101. Um, but on my personal feed, I will just share more because I'm multi-passionate as maybe came across in this interview as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, there I will, I'll be on my personal feed. I will go into many different topics, but on biohacking one-on-one, this is more specifically about biohacking and, uh, yeah. Okay. I will make sure they're in the show notes and I was going to check in with you, which, um, handles you wanted sharing, but there you are, you've given them away. So they will be in the show notes so that people can find you. And in the meantime, thank you very much for spending this time with me, Matt. Kath, thank you so much for having me. This podcast was edited by Rory Kavanagh, an audio enthusiast and music producer.